1: Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. If you understand that, there isn't anything that will show up in your plate that you can't handle, as we'll see today on Abounding Grace. Many times we find ourselves in the midst of the waves and the wind of life. And like Peter, who's walking on water, we suddenly start sinking when we start looking at the circumstances around us. But once we get our eyes fixed on Christ, well, things begin to change. And there is no discouragement to bear the cross because we understand the glory of he who bore the cross before us. That's what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Welcome to Abounding Grace, online at reformedheritage.org. Pastor Gary Wagner takes us back to Romans 8 with a message called, No Discouragement
2: to Bear the Cross. Here's Gary and today's program. This is where election and predestination become practical. Not just, well, I believe these things because I'm Reformed and I'm Presbyterian, If that is all these doctrines mean to you, you do not understand them and you do not have a right to even claim them. These are the foundations of assurance that nothing can happen to me that is outside of God's sovereign control that will not glorify him and actually promote my salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we don't need to pass over these words carelessly or just go, you know, yeah, 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 predestination. We're supposed to ask, what are we to do with them? Let me suggest four things that we are to do with these things. One, we need to learn that our salvation, as well as our sufferings, are holy, are holy, W H O L L Y, in God's hands. Holy in God's hands. This is where our security lies, which is also in God's hands because He is working out His purposes according to the counsel of Him who works all things according to His will. Second, we have to rest in God's sovereignty and yield ourselves to be governed by Him through His Word. You know, there are a lot of people who say, Well, I I believe in God's sovereignty, so I'm going to live like I want to. Because his plans are going to be worked out no matter what I do. Wrong. Because God is sovereign, I need to govern my life by his word. Because God does bring things in my life that are, are outside of my control. So the default spirit of my heart needs to be yielded to him in all things. Sometimes we all need to do is what Job did. Just sit on the ground, maybe scrape the boils that are on our souls and just say, Lord, you've done this. What can I do but cry out to you? We live in an age where we think we can just fix everything. I'm sick. I ought to be able to feel better. There ought to be solutions to this. If my car is broken, I just need to get it repaired. If my roof leaks, I just need to get it fixed. You see, we live in a very hubristic age, as if God exists to make everything all better on our time schedule, when in reality, God exists to remind us we live in a broken world. And sometimes I just want you to sit on broken glass so that you can learn to trust me, wait upon me, do my will, even when you don't feel like it, and even when all the props seem to be pulled out from underneath you. Third, so first, suffering and salvation are holy in God's hands. Two, therefore, we need to learn to yield to him, to submit to his sovereignty. And third, when those afflictions press upon us and we feel like we're suffocating, we need to remember Psalm twenty-nine, ten: God sits as the king above the floods. He sits as king above your lost job, your broken leg, your liver cancer, your low bank account, a pandemic, a war in Ukraine. It seems like our nation is just So topsy turvy. And actually, in one sense, it is. Sin, listen, sin always breeds chaos. As the great Dutchman Groen van Prinster said, unbelief always breeds revolution. And our nation is at war against Almighty God, and it has been for at least a century and a half, if not two centuries. But the point here is that it looks to us very chaotic. I mean, look at what has happened. Oh, no, the market is in chaos. Inflation is rampant. Our health care is in shambles. Who's going to win the White House next? Is there hope that we can change things through the ballot box? You know what? How we think about these things is just like going into your backyard this summer, finding a big old ant hill, and just putting your foot right in the middle of it what will happen the hands will just go everywhere and there we are so it looks like it looks to us like things are just topsy turvy and out of control just going every which way but there is a king there is a god who reigns in heaven before whom everything is a sea of glass and there is not a ripple not a ripple he knows the end from the beginning He moves all the pieces where he wants them to go. And in the midst of all those chaotic, jumbled pieces, persecution and martyrdom in Nigeria and Pakistan and Afghanistan and really so many other parts of the world, these things that look to us like chaos, and we just want to pull out our hair. What did John have to learn when he was on Patmos, exiled for his faith? What did God show him? Did God say, let me tell you how all this is going to work out, John? Let me write out for you this personal detail so that you'll know how everything is going to be better in your life. No, the first thing God showed him was the glory of Christ and the majesty of himself who was seated on the throne. Because, you know, until we see that, It doesn't matter what else we know. We're we're not going to be humble. We're not going to be made docile in weakness under Christ, under his majesty. And we're going to constantly go around with the number one idol that infects every human soul, including yours. A God complex. That I can be as God, determining good and evil for myself. What works for my family? It may not work for you, but it will work for me because I'm going to make it work. I'm not sure if God really supports this, but I'm going to make it work. And that leads me to my fourth point on how to use this. There is one truth that grips the heart of a godly man. When he thinks about these doctrines, my life is in God's hands. I may be crying, but he loves me. And he is doing me good as his child. Oh, I may be perplexed, but he knows and governs everything by his wisdom and majesty. And I don't have to feel it. I don't even have to see it. I know because he is the living God. And that's why Paul, later in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, made this confession. And I ask you to make it yours. Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Our lives are fully His. We are fully in His hands, and when we hold fast to this conviction, then we can face the future with confidence And it gives us incredible freedom from worry. In the present, we can endure painful things with calmness and with patience. Because whatever is happening, we must think to ourselves, this is why God has led us into this little glimpse of the counsels of His eternal will. You must think to yourself, my God has always loved me. He loved me when I was like, Israel and a howling wilderness and a rebel against him. God loves me. He chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. And nothing can happen that will ultimately hurt my life, my family, my salvation, even the evil. Like in Joseph's case, God turns it into good. And to defy all of men's understanding and reasoning, he shows us I am a God who brings good out of evil so that no man will boast in man but will glory in me alone. So when we believe our life is in God's hands, there is no reason to fear, is there? The God who sets his love on me When I was in the womb, before I was conceived, before there was anything but Him, He chose me to be His own possession. And beloved, He will never fail me or you. I may be very sick. I may die of a certain disease. But what is that according to God's eternal counsel? Because He is then going to receive me immediately into His glory. So I look at these two ideas foreknowledge, and predestination. And I think it is wicked and heartless for anyone not to preach on these. And I really mean that. It is wicked and heartless for us not to go at least as far as Scripture goes. We don't need to go any further, but to go as far as at least Scripture does, because if we don't, it takes all our comfort away. Because my comfort is a Christian doesn't lie in the fact that I had an experience of Jesus 20 years ago. You know, we hear about people talk about this all the time. Well, Jesus came and and he talked to me. I, I even saw Jesus. And that's what I'm basing my whole hope on, that I had this experience. Well, that is a mighty slender thread to base eternity on. And that could be the result of any number of things including hallucinations, just simple wishful thinking, indigestion, and maybe even a mild stroke. No, no. God gives us something eternal and high to base this confidence on, that he is working all things together for good. He bases it on, I have always known you, I've always loved you. I've chosen you to be my own. I have set my boundaries. I have set the boundaries of your life. I watch over those boundaries. I protect you and I guard you. Now, if we're not willing to preach this and we make salvation dependent upon man's choice, God has no hands but your hands. Really? Poor God. Or when men deny to God the sovereign government of the world, where does that lead us? That throws us straight into the arms of chance, or into the arms of Satan. Because after all, like many, even in the church, believe today at some level, well, the devil is the one who brings the bad things. Right? We have this Manichaean dualism in the church. God is a sweet. Lovely genie, Satan is an ugly horned rascal. And these two are always fighting to see who is going to get the supremacy. Oh, beloved, there is no fight between God and Satan. Jesus Christ has already crossed the head of the serpent and cast that old dragon out of heaven. And it slinks about. Oh, yes, he's a roaring lion to us but in terms of what he can actually do. He is a slinking worm who knows he has but a short while. So he is filled with malice and goes and makes war on the church. I don't want to be in his arms. But even worse than that, many say, I do want to be in my arms and take my life into my own hands. I can go to chance, I can go to the devil, or I can go to me. I can believe this. I can do this. I'm a type IA personality, so I'm a strong and able person. I've got my own theology. I can do this. I can figure this out. I can work through my own finances. I can even bring healing. I can do it. And then God brings affliction and suffering to teach me. No, you can not. You have no strength of your own. You are a grasshopper. You are truly, truly nothing but dust in the wind unless, as God says, I set my love upon you and I have chosen you to be my own. And I'm guarding over the boundaries of your life and I'm upholding you at every step. And then you can fall into my arms and know that whatever happens, I've got a good purpose for doing what I do. I've got holy And wise reasons for doing it. You can have peace in the midst of the worst suffering. Even while you cry. Even while you are in an agony. Because you can know. I love you. And I have known you forever. At some deep level. That actually is an uncomfortable thought for me. That God has always known me. I kind of thought at times of. Figuring this venture out for myself. I thought I was allowing God into certain areas of my life. But in other areas, I know. You see, we are confronted with these ideas of foreknowledge and forelove and predestination. We are brought face to face with some of the most profound thoughts that we can have. I am not controlling anything. I, you, we. May have our financial house in order, but you have no control over it. You may have your professional life well in order, but you have no control over it. David said in Psalms, I thought my mountain was standing strong, but Lord, you hid your face for just a second and everything came crashing down. By your favor, you make my mountain to stand strong. So when you hear of this, several practical things should come to mind. Number one, fall down before the majesty of God. How do you do that? What does that mean? Well, it means you get on your face before God and simply confess, Lord, you are Lord. I'm not. So do with me, by me, for me, to me, in me, through me, whatever you want to do. Because I belong to you. In fact, I belong to you twice over. Because you not only made me, created me, but you recreated and remade me in the Lord Jesus. So I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Two, be happy. Because let the seas roar. Let the chaos ensue. Let David be thrown into the lion's den. What am I going to do? I'm going to get on my knees and pray. If the lion eats me, no problem. I'm just going to go up into the presence of God. Let them know us. Let them throw us into the fiery furnace. We're going in. We're not going to obey you, O king, because you're not the real king. And all you've got is a gold statue. We serve the God of heaven and earth. We can be happy in the midst of the worst sufferings, beloved. And we can be at peace. Because we know this world and the events of our life and what is happening. And with respect to the wicked and the ungodly, these things are not just hurling through space topsy-turvy. There is a governor and a king of the nation who holds all the reins of authority and the movement and power in his hands. So fall down before him. Be happy. And three, believe in Jesus. Because there is only one way to draw near. Listen to me closely. and With this I'll close. There is only one way to draw near to God. Who is so majestic. Who clothes himself with light as with a robe. There is only one way to draw near to him. And that is through the mediator. Who he appointed. Jesus Christ. Now sadly. We all go to funerals. And we think, you know, so-and-so lived a good life. Almost as if the implication is, no matter what your religionists say, these people will be able to work out a deal with God when they meet him face-to-face. There will be some kind of negotiation. No, there is no negotiation with majesty, with holiness, with holy, holy God. Did Moses negotiate at the burning bush? I mean, did the soldiers even, when Jesus was practically thoroughly expired from his night of crying out to his Father and weeping, all he had to do was left him was left himself up and just utter lift himself up and just utter two words, "I am," and the whole cosmos would basically stand still, and all of his enemies would fall down beneath him. Negotiation, there is no negotiation. You either come to him through Jesus. Or he will say to you one day, I never knew you, I never loved you, I never guarded your ways, I never watched you. You may think, well, how do I know? Just come to Jesus, because no man comes to the Father but through me, he said. As if we come, and if we come through him, we have his promise, you will not be cast out. So add up a list of the sinful things you've done. All the reasons you think God can never love you. And just slap yourself in the face. And then get on your face before God and hear his word. None who comes to me will ever be cast out. This is the only way we can have this assurance that God is working all things together for good in our life. As is if he loved us from eternity and has chosen us to be his own. And no, we are one of those, as it says in Acts 13:48, because as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. So you can sit there and ask, am I a child of God's elect? Wrong question. It should be, do I believe in Jesus? Do I look to the Lamb of God and Savior of sinners? All questions are answered. And those that aren't, we don't need to know anyway. So just try, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know several of you who are believers here are being heavily, bearing heavenly heavy crosses. Well, don't be discouraged. I know sometimes we want to be because we revel in being discouraged. We don't ever say this to ourselves, but there is a certain, oh, life is just so hard. Not all of you are like that, but some people are. I know there is some of that in me, even. But you've got to remember something about your practical cross. You think about it what it is. Maybe it's your children. Maybe they've gotten out of hand just a little bit. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your checkbook. Maybe it's the government. Whatever it may be, you think about your cross. But remember this. God did not lay that cross upon your back accidentally. He laid that cross upon your back because he loves you and he will show you things about his goodness, his faithfulness, his truth. So that you keep your nose buried in his book. And you keep hoping in God. You know, David said in Psalm 28:7, just by trusting in him, I'm helped. My heart is lighter. There is peace that passes all understanding. Just by trusting that my God does all things well. And he knows those who are his. So we have every reason, even in 2022, to be joyful. We don't have to sedate ourselves with alcohol or drugs and pretend they'll make everything better. There is no comfort at the end of a bottle, only misery. But there is comfort in a sovereign God who loves us, sent his son to die for us, and who says, I am working all things together for good to those who love me. So trust in the love.